Life has been busy. <laughs> a lot I feel of like change everything... in your life. Yeah, a lot of change. Um, I feel like as soon as I left LCI, things just like skyrocketed and I've been nonstop, which has been awesome, but also exhausting. Troublesome, meddling, change maker. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What's one good win you had uh, recently? We got our Procore integration out. That was a big win for our team. It was something we've been pushing for for a while and we released it the day at Groundbreak. And so it was like, everything came together just like in the nick of time, it was planned out perfectly to be released. And it, it went live while I was setting up our booth at Groundbreak. And it was such like a moment of relief. Like we got there, it happened. It's actually working. There was no bugs with it. It was a big win for us. That's a huge one. Congratulations on that. The timing was amazing. So you did tell everybody coming to the booth, right? I did. Of course we did. Yeah. But it was funny, like, as I was setting up the booth, I'm like pinging engineering, being like, is this going to happen? Are we going to be able to do it? And, you know, it goes through a whole like Procore, um, like review process. And as soon as I was like final set up, the monitors on the table, I get this ping text message that it's live. Feel free to test it. It was like <laughs> perfect timing. Also, I would have liked it to be a little earlier, but it's startup life. <laughs> At least the day before, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 How different is uh, running a technology company versus running a job site as a superintendent? You know, I was talking to someone about this the other day. It is like running a job site that has a lot of design changes where (laughs) it's kind of a little chaotic, uh, but it has that same feel like every, like my sales team is my electricians and my, you know, product team is my drywallers. And like, there's all like this communication all has to flow so it's just kind of like running a job site all over again where you have the right people in the right spots um and it's funny I like across the wall here I have all of our sticky notes of like what has to happen when and like moving everything around just as if it was a job site so I feel like I just I hung up my hard hat because I'm sitting in an office now but it's essentially the same exact job (laughs) I think that's amazing I tell people like projects are very similar and uh, you get people in different industries that just totally disagree with you and they'll like fight you and tell you how different it is. And I was like, it's just like making snow. You need yeah. freezing conditions. You need some elevation change. You need moisture. And even though every snowflake is completely different, it's all still snow. Yeah, exactly. It's just different environment. That's all it is. Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem system. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last planet. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. 
From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Caitlin Frank. Caitlin is the CEO, former superintendent, project professional extraordinaire. Caitlin, this show has been a long time in the coming. We finally got it scheduled. I'm so excited you're helping us to kick off a strong season four. Caitlin, we're going to put all of your bio, special links, and places to get in touch with you in the description below, people. So if you're watching this on YouTube, click on the title to expand the description. And if you're listening via your favorite audio podcast, you know what to do to see more and all the links. So without further ado, let's just get right into it. Caitlin, how long have you been the CEO of this beautiful software company, Emod Safety Incorporated? So I stepped in as formally as our CEO this past January. So by the time this airs, just about a year. Um, I was a co-founder prior to that for a few years. Um, I had a hard time leaving the field. Um, I wanted to stay in the field and I wasn't ready to leave that side of it yet. Um, But when I saw the opportunity of where this could go and what Emod could do for the field, it was kind of a no-brainer to jump in. We bounced around in the same community of changemakers through the LCI community. And I saw, I think that uh, the vast majority of your career, if I had to like percentage it, you're more percentage uh, field supervision than anything else. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, I spent about 10 years in the field running work. And I mean, that's that's where my heart is. It's in the field. That's where I want to be. Um, and this is just a very different way of being part of the field. Yeah, so you're still connected. I think, you know, for people listening, this is a great example of how there are many ways to be inside of the construction industry. It's not just on projects. It takes a village sometimes to bring these projects to life. You know, what is one of the main components or main drivers for somebody to pick up Emod or what drove you to help be a co-founder of Emod? What was the problem you're trying to solve with this? You know, what's funny is that, so I'm a daughter of a contractor. Um, I was a superintendent and my dad kind of always just drove in like the importance of safety and like the fact that someone else's mistake could have impacted his ability to come home. And that really always bothered me. Um, But also at the same time, when someone stepped foot on my job site, it made it really important to me that I was responsible for their safety. Um, And when I went out and I saw what was out there, there was nothing actually designed for the field. Everything was designed for operations and management. But not what is it, 97 or 98% of the construction industry is in the field or remote workers. Yet we're designing things for people who are in the office. And so Santiago, who was my right-hand man, um, nothing was protecting him. And so I wanted to protect him. And so what really started out as one of our features within EMOD, our pre-task plan, all of a sudden grew into an entire platform because I wanted to support him. I wanted to set the field up for success where I felt like everything else was just setting the field up to fail and kind of checking that box of a safety program. And so what started out as something small and I needed a solution for, I realized that the rest of the industry also needed a solution for. 
that's incredible. And I, I looked even further and you had, uh, you got your start at the Whitworth Institute of Technology, which I think mm -hmm. I've got uh, a couple East Coast friends back that way. And, yep. and you came West to California, as did I from the center of the yep. country some years ago. Are you still California based? I am still California based. Uh, it was, I came out about 10 years ago. Um, it was a two year plan. I had this moment in Boston. I was on a cinder lift downtown and we were, it was old like row houses where we we're pushing in the bricks, trying to figure out structurally sound one of the buildings was. And it was sleeting. I had two jackets on, three pairs of pants. I was like, I can do this somewhere warmer. Like I do not need to be here, you know, freezing all the time. And so I came up to California as a two year, like I'm going to move to California. It's going to be great. You know, I'll, I'll escape the couple winters and I'll come back home because both my husband and I are from the East coast and our families are all still there. 10 years later, I was like, I don't, I've become California soft as I like to say it. I do not want to go shovel my car out ever again. <laughs> I was just in Wisconsin a week ago uh, for, for business travel with Bolt. And I had multiple pairs of long johns, multiple yeah. jackets, and it was just barely enough clothes to stay warm outside. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I'm it's not... 60 degrees today in San Francisco, and I wore a puffy jacket to go get a coffee this morning. I mean, I am meant to be here, not <laughs> yeah. on the East Coast. I'm not too far from you. Like, I grew up in Chicago, and after, you know, for almost 30 years, and used to the weather and the elements, and then within a year or two coming out here, my blood completely changed and now i get cold with the strong breeze exactly exactly we're spoiled now yeah it is today where, where i am just north of sacramento it's going to be a high of 63 today in this cold fall almost nearly winter time which is amazing people yes i love uh, it i, I don't I know outside, if I'll ever leave. i was outside this morning walking with my family and i had a hat on because it was cold covering my ears <laughs> And I complained about how cold I was. So <laughs> I think you're here to stay as well. The change is real. Yeah. We, we also were like, you know, we'll do it for like a year or two or a project. And 13 years later, almost 14 years later, still here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> still here. So in, uh, in EMOD, you've got, you shifted away from being a superintendent mm -hmm. and going full-time and taking yeah. the helm of this company to solve this problem for so many people. What are some of the kinds of benefits you've heard from people using EMOD that has changed how they are showing up on the job site or just the level of safety that they get to experience now? You know, it's, I hear from a lot of people, the intent when they deploy EMOD is to go paperless, to have everything in one spot. And that's kind of, that was my original intent when helping design it was, how do we go paperless? How do we put everything in one spot for the field, make it really easy for the field to deploy? But the outcomes have been so different. Um, yes, that is part of it. Um, but what they've seen is better communication around safety uh, and their focus on safety is less on the paperwork side, but more about how can they be proactive and the conversations that they're having with their field teams and at a, a corporate level um, have really changed, which has been really exciting and interesting to me because as a superintendent, I was spending so much time chasing paperwork and saying, did someone fill out their pre-test plan? Did they sign in? Did they do that? And if you have multiple floors or if you have multiple job sites that you're running at once you can only be in one spot at a time and so for me there was a kind of a, a breaking moment where i had three jobs in downtown san francisco in three different buildings yes they were all next to each other but the first couple hours of my day were spent just ping-ponging from one building to the next trying to check in to see had everyone done it and it 
that wasn't safety. That was an administrative version of safety. Um, and so the fact that the conversations around safety and that the field employees feel empowered more so than safety. Um, one of the, I had, I've done so much research on safety at this point, um, yeah. but 70% of our field crews feel like safety takes a backseat to productivity. Like we're doing something wrong that they think that getting the job done right now is more important than them going home. Oh, like, yeah. That's a, that's a hard pill to swallow. And especially if you're a superintendent out there and you have, like, you know, that, you know, they're cutting corners now, you know, like they're going to grab the wrong ladder or wrong tool, whatever it is that they can go home or finish the job faster. Cause they're worried about their jobs. We're doing something wrong. Absolutely. And I'm, for people listening to the show, you know what kind of nerd I am. So that's that's worth saying a second time. Then seven out of ten people on your construction project sites right now, in their heart of hearts, believe and backed up with research. Caitlin just informed us that getting the job done is more important than their physical well-being. That is a very dangerous environment that the vast majority of our people are on. I think that's going to be an eye-opening statistic for so many people. Seven out of 10, the majority of your project thinks that production is more important than safety. That means that our, in the way that we talk to people, the way that we contract with people, the way that we connect with people, our interactions are reinforcing productivity above human safety. If something happens, guess what happens to productivity? Everything stops. Everything shuts down. People don't go home the way that they came. That is not a good thing. So now... You've got people having that reaction and you're seeing this in the research. What you mentioned something about the interactions and the conversation and communication. Do you have any stories you can share about how the communication has shifted once people started using EMOD? So one of the companies that we've worked really closely with, um, they thought prior to using EMOD, you know, they had great safety scores and ratings and they thought they were pretty much in compliance. They knew there was always going to be those ones and two GD jobs that were out of compliance. They didn't have full visibility on, but they realized in 2019, they had put 3,000 people through their safety orientation. Last year, they put 9,000 people through. They weren't even close. They thought they were around 80%. They weren't even close. And it's because they didn't have that visibility. Um, and so the conversation with their senior leadership and their management team changed more so about, are we deploying our orientations properly? Is it beneficial to people? Do they understand what the expectation is from one job site to another? And so they revamped their program on how do we deploy it? How do we make sure that the superintendents understand why this is important before they start work? Um, and so really the conversation at a, that management level changed, but then also as soon as a, a field person showed up on site, they understood what those expectations were less so than, or I guess more so than before. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I mean, that that statistic in itself. So company thinks they're doing well. They don't have real data to see like what what it is, because it's not it's not easily at their fingertips or for whatever reasons in their system, they just don't know. And then with your solution, more than double the number of people go through, and they have a big epiphany. This is not effective. I can't tell you, Caitlin, how many times I've sat through safety orientations and projects across the country and even abroad. And the safety orientation is more like a commercial for the general contractor than it is yeah. for like 
what the worker needs. Like I'll see things in orientations that have nothing to do with this job type. And then you, you cross your fingers and hope there's going to be some site safety thing. And it's hurry up, take the test and get out there and start working. And it's like, but wait a minute, everything I just saw in this video has nothing to do with what we're going to do right now. Like I've got questions, you know, some safety professionals are good and some companies have dedicated people and they'll engage and ask questions. But I think the vast, if, if I check, you know, just my gut check, I think most companies, most projects don't have dedicated safety, well-trained professionals. And it's just somebody drew the short end of the, of the, the short straw. They drew the short straw and they just got to get through it. You said something there, you said hope. And so as a superintendent, when any, something would go wrong, there's an incident and accident on the job site, you hope that that orientation's done. You hope that that pre-task plan is filled out. You hope they've signed in all of these things. And that's that gut feeling. I mean, I've had it before where your heart just sinks into your stomach. You get that call that something's occurred. And unfortunately, your first thing, your brain goes to paperwork. Ooh. And it's because I knew that my hand was going to get smacked. I knew that I was going to get in trouble if it wasn't done because I wasn't enforcing it. But I also did, may not have known exactly what was happening on the job site or had that person arrived yet, X, Y, and Z. There was so much that would go into it. And that idea of, are you hoping? I'm like, when is your luck going to run out? Yeah. Uh, you know, are you, are you lucky or are you safe? And that's kind of a lot of the mindset a lot of EMOT is built off of is, let's remove that. I don't want to hope something's been done. I don't want to be lucky and, you know, not have it happen this time. I want to, I want to know who's on site. I want to know exactly what they should be doing. I want to know everything's filled out before they start work and have they been trained on what they're doing? Do they have the right tools in the hands of the right people? Oh my God. I love that. Yeah. Let's, let's leave hope for other things like achieving all your wildest dreams, but not for coming to work and not for safety. Yeah, we want everybody, everybody listening, one of the key things, and Caitlin and I are aligned on this, our lean construction, change maker mindset, respect for people is paramount. And we care deeply about each of you working on our projects and just working in industry in general. In the U.S. alone, Caitlin, there's 11 million people, over 11 million people working in construction. And of those people, accidents and injuries and you know, paralyzing events and worse fatalities are still an everyday occurrence. And yeah, I mean, 268 people get hurt every single day. 268 every day. a day. 268 wow. a day. And a thousand people don't go, uh, don't go home in the industry every year. A thousand. 1,000 don't go home. We're killing more people than the military. That is a fact. Whoa. You know, like I'm, you start diving into these safety numbers and they are heartbreaking and the fact that our industry isn't changing fast enough to keep up with this. And then we have a labor shortage as well. We're setting people up to fail. Yeah. We have in many job sites, you know, you mentioned being superintendent and what it's like, get that feeling when something happens, we don't always have control on our projects of who comes in and out and what times they come in and out. It's not like, uh, you know, like a building where there's just one point of entry <laughs> In and out, right? It's not like going through airport security where you can only really get in one way. It is really a very nebulous, open kind of environment, and conditions are always changing and people always come in and out. What's a, a surprising thing 
that you've had feedback from people using EMOD that was like, it was surprising for them, a, a positive benefit. And I want to come back to the communication in just a second. Um, I think I going into this, I was fearful that this industry was not going to want to use a mobile app for safety. Uh, they don't want to fill out safety paperwork to begin with. You know, they want to get to work. They want to do it as fast as possible. They don't want to be filling out forms. Um, when I've gone back to job sites and asked them, and, you know, I show up and I'm not in, I'm in blank gear. I don't want them to know who I am, what it is. Um, and I asked them, you know, would you rather use EMOD or would you rather use paper? And like, go back to what you were doing before. And the answer is always EMOD. Um, they say that it's saving them time so they can get back to work faster. And I was nervous. You know, I'm always nervous to ask that question because it is a new technology and the field doesn't always want to do it. And the response is always, I don't want to do the paperwork, but if I have to do it, I'm going to do it in EMOD. Yeah. If I have to just touch a tap of app, that's way yeah. better than having to sit down and go like this old paper pencil thing. Now I love, and I use a lot of sticky notes and paper pens and pencils, but checklists and check forms. I don't know. There's something about it. Uh, especially, you know, people that are, they're here for, they're on a mission, right? They're on a job and no one ever talks about an expectations. Like a part of your job is this written communication. I think that phrasing <laughs> probably never gets said in construction no. projects. So we've actually started to partner with universities and vocational schools so that they can use EMOD as an, an opportunity to teach it. And part of that reasoning for that was when I was running work, I realized the field never was taught how to fill out all this documentation and that they were filling in, honestly, crap. Um, the, <laughs> what we were receiving on paper was, it wasn't useful information for anyone. Um, and so being able to provide them with proactive options and suggest things for them, of this is the type of content that should be included actually points them in the right direction. I had one pre-task plan that said, install glass, don't break glass, gravity was the hazard and be safe was the safe plan. Awesome. Like that is not protecting, any, like it's not protecting the general contractor. It's not good in the trades. It's not useful for the field. And being able to work with these universities so they can teach what is expected from an operation side, but also from a field side, this is what you should be looking for. I think is going to change the way these new people come into the field. Also the younger groups that they understand what the expectation is from day one. Absolutely. I remember about two decades ago, my first job and I, I joined in operations side, managing a project as an intern. And I got this amazing task of doing data entry, taking written daily reports and typing them into prologue back, back in the day. And I remember I asked the superintendent, I said, can I, join the next subcontractor meeting. And he's like, why? I was like, I'm having some major issues with these daily reports. <laughs> I'm sure you are. And I asked him, I was like, are you reading these things? And he's like, well, he's like, yeah, I read them like once a week. And I was like, I don't think you're reading them. Like there's some really weird stuff showing up. And uh, I remember going to that next meeting and addressing all of the trade foreman. And I just said like, hey, if you don't know what to write or you can't write, just come into the office and dictate to me and I'll just take it down because some of the stuff I can't read, or I don't think you're talking about this project in some of these reports. I mean, it was just way off the wall, some of the types of things, but you're right. We never showed people like what a good daily report looks like. 
And from a company's perspective, some of the more savvy contractors, they know why they need it. These are going to be, you know, artifacts and key evidence in a claim, which is unfortunate, especially if somebody gets hurt. Daily reports get pulled during that time period to see what's happening. Like, don't break glass. Gravity was still a factor this week. Right. Exactly. People get cut. It's just ridiculous. But you're right. We don't show people. Yeah. And so I feel like part of that is also in five years when a claim occurs, can you even prove who was on your job site, what they were doing? Is there good information? And when it's all on paper, the chances of you being able to read it and actually like, was it that actual person who signed off on it is so difficult to know. Would it hold up? I'm not sure. But having it digitized gives someone that opportunity. No, you're right. And then, you know, records retention policies for paper forms. Legally, in most states and jurisdictions, it's only one year. You only have to keep that paper for a year and then get rid of it. And just think about this, people. Like, you drive, you can't drive three miles in any city and not come across like seven construction project sites. All of those sites are generating mountains of paperwork and mm-hmm. records that have to be saved for various different times. Different things get saved for different amounts of time. And it's just all over the place. So, I'm glad that you're making something that's a shows people what winning looks like. It's making it easier with suggestions. That's a plus, you know, the theme of the show is easier and better people. So Ebot is definitely aligned with the the heartbeat of what this show is all about. Where can people go see this on the web so they can see what this looks like and see if the solution makes sense for them, Caitlin. Yeah. Emodsafety.com. You can check us out there. You can Google search us. We have a bunch of, you know, YouTube videos and everything else out there as well that you can see the product in action. Um, Definitely take a look at it because it's designed for the field. It is meant to be super simple mobile app that anyone can use. And then we have a web application that's more meant for operations management where you dive into those analytics and get the data that you really need and want. Oh, absolutely love that. We're going to put those YouTube links in the show notes below, ladies and gentlemen. So you can click and see, and I'm going to subscribe today, Kaylin. I didn't even know that you had a YouTube channel. Now it's like, I'm going to dig into this and go deeper. I do like to be on YouTube for sure, especially on the weekends. There you go. <laughs> it's my time. My time. So I want to ask you again, like now you mentioned when we were getting started that you've got a series of notes across your board. So you're using, you definitely didn't forget, you know, the cool things you learned when you started implementing Lean like visual yeah. control. So no problems are hidden. I love that. So is it, is it some kind of hybrid between last planner or some other agile type of framework? And you will get extra credit if you mention scrum, just so you know. <laughs> um, it's definitely some type of last planner. Um, you know, we're just like a construction project. We're working towards milestones. Um, and from a product side, you know, we do our sprints. So we're working on that. Uh, it's, it is honestly like running a job site all over again. Um, yeah. But yeah, we keep our sticky notes. We have different colors for the different, you know, our sales team, our product team, our uh, marketing team. And so it's all broken up like that. We we go through it three times a week in our morning huddles. It is legitimately like a job site, just a little bit less dusty yeah. and more organized. <laughs> less, less dusty. I know. I was in a trailer earlier this week and I was, I told one of my good superintendent friends, I was like, I had like flashback trauma and uh, my vocabulary went very vulgar, very fast. I don't know if it was the the dust on the floor or the wood paneling on the walls with the windows, with the bars on the outside (laughs) that triggers me, but it's incredible. 
And I love that oh, you yeah. said sprint. So you've got like your cycles, you're checking in three times a week. It's very, very scrum friendly, very last planner hybrid, very agile. Yes. And uh, how long are your, your sprints typically where you cycle through? Is it weekly, twice a month, once a month? Um, so our sprints for our product side are about monthly. That gives us enough time to build, deploy, test, and then, you know, PDCA. We do yes. all of that in a monthly, in a monthly sprint. Um, but we're looking at everything for this week and then three weeks out. And so we're, we're always hyper-focused on this week, but we're saying we're looking at the next three weeks so that we can plan accordingly. And if we need to make changes, we have time to make the changes. Yep. So that, uh, for people listening, that's very good. A lot of people that use Last Planner in their project side sometimes miss that long-term and short-term planning on a regular cycle. So what Caitlin just said is a good nugget for all of you. Once a week, you should look into the future, three weeks or more, and then definitely check in to get that feedback, close that feedback loop so you can PDCA, plan, do, check, adjust, plan, do, study, act, plan, do, study, adapt. I love all these A word synonyms to keep getting better and better and better. And without feedback, you're just hoping for better. Yeah, that hope again. Let's let's not hope. Let's Let's like, let's just do better. Let's do better. Let's guarantee our success. So we use the feedback to help it happen. So I got to ask, like, what's uh, all that time being a superintendent? Mm -hmm. What's your favorite memory from those days? Um. One of my favorites, so we actually ran an all-female team, um, and I had a foreman from a acoustical ceiling company come in. He walked into the job site and saw the three of us, project manager, superintendent, project engineer, and said it was the most intimidating job site he's ever walked in on, and I <laughs> loved it. I That was one of the moments that I was like, I can do this. Like I belong in this industry. I got this, and I just, it took off from there. That's beautiful. What kind of project was it? Uh, I was building out a, it was a commercial TI job downtown San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple floors running and it was just, I don't know, I probably had 80 to 100 guys on site and it was just madness and exciting. And just to have someone say that gave me the boost of confidence that I needed. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that memory. I'm so glad you didn't say like a topping out party or barbecue. So you just get, you get extra <laughs> points for this super unique thing. Absolutely yeah. love. How many, since you're, you nerd out on statistics, like by percentage, what would be your guess as to how many women are in management roles or superintendent roles in construction? Not, not enough. Um, prior to last year, I had only met one other female superintendent. Uh, wow. I've met a, a handful of this past year but I've met very few and there's not enough. And I, th- I think the industry is changing that there are more women going into the field right now that there's much more of an opportunity and the industry is ad- adopting to that. But I still watch the women struggle to try to get their voice heard. And I mean, even I was questioned, I, after I'd been in the field for years, like, are you sure you really want to do that? And I, I walked onto a job set and I was like, this is the only spot I want to be. There's right. no question if I want to do this, this is, this is where my heart and soul is. That's right. It's natural people. She's human. Yeah. Women yeah. are part of the human species, ladies and gentlemen. Take <laughs> take note. I know in my career over, I think I'm almost knocking on 30 years of construction now. I probably have met less than 10, including yeah. you. Yeah. 
No, there's not many. No, not definitely not enough. And I was telling a friend of mine, like we were had met at a conference. We were an AGC California conference a few weeks ago. And I said, uh, she's a woman, an executive was one of my past bosses. I said, I didn't realize coming up, like I just got lucky, like so many projects in a row. I think like the first three or four jobs I had early in my career, I just always had strong women on those jobs. And I remember I was working for a large general contractor. We went to a corporate meeting where they bring everybody in and we go over the the financials and everything. And I remember looking out into the audience and seeing like almost no women at all, but on my job, it was different. And so like my, my mind right away, I was just like, something doesn't seem right here. Like, where is everybody? Yep. I remember sitting in superintendent meetings and being always being the only female. Just being like, everyone just, who's this? Like who's coming in? Hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's Caitlin. Yeah. It just okay. me. I'm here. Any, any cool nicknames you picked up in construction or nicknames that you gave? I need to know. Ooh. I was definitely given quite a few nicknames that I probably didn't want. Uh, oh, well, um, let's, let's skip those. Let's go with the ones that you uh, liked. I don't think so. I feel like I was just always Caitlin. And it's funny because I some all of my friends in my family call me Katie. Okay. And I hadn't been called Caitlin since probably kindergarten prior to going into the field, but I felt like I looked so young that going into the field, I couldn't be Katie because Katie just seemed really young. <laughs> and so I went by Caitlin from this time I stepped into the field. And so in the industry, I'm known as Caitlin, but as soon as I step away from the industry, my friends and family, it's all Kate or Katie and no one calls me Caitlin. <laughs> Except on I job just, sites. Except on job sites. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's so funny. I just, I felt like Katie was too young and I had to kind of prove myself. So I went by Caitlin. Yeah, that's, uh, there you go. So, I mean, it almost seems like that's, that's the nickname almost because you're, yeah. I hope, I hope you're spending more time with friends and family than working. So maybe majority time. Yeah. As Kate or Katie. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Any nicknames that you've given people? Not really. There you go. That's respect, people. That was the test. And she passed. <laughs> <laughs> Call people by their first name. It's one of the most powerful things. So that reminds me, let's go back to communication. So I've learned from reading uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. He said one of the most magical words that people can hear is their first name. And that the vast majority of that book is really about communication techniques and just human interactions. And you've, you've touched on so many uh, important, like I tell, like in your philosophy, like the way people interact is very critical and important to you. And I love that. It's very agile, very scrum, but yeah. what about communication do you see changing on job sites? You mentioned that things are changing now. Are you seeing a difference with the different generations in the job to the different communication styles? What's the communication style you remember when you first came into the industry versus today? Oh, so I first came into the industry back on the East Coast. Um, and I felt like it was very, very cold. You know, it was not, how are you doing? There were very few thank yous. It was, they were there to get their job done, go home. No one really knew much about each other. Um, and now I walk into a job site and when 
the communication is so different. And it's lean has played a huge part of that. Um, opening up communication, changing company cultures and allowing that communication to actually flow. But I think part of it is putting like giving everyone the opportunity to have a safe space to communicate. And so we've talked about safety this whole time today, Phys about physical safety, but there's also the psychological safety side of it. Um, and I feel like that's the direction that the industry is going that we're finally realizing that there is a psychological safety aspect to our job sites that we've completely missed for all these generations in the past few years. Absolutely right. I don't know what the statistic is, but I know that surveys have been done in the past. And when they poll people like, do you feel like you can speak up? The vast majority of people in construction in years and yesteryears past have said, no, they can't. And when you go to sites and you're, you see conditions, like even when you do like accident investigation reports and somebody gets injured, it's rarely somebody gets hurt far, far away from everybody else. Cause people are like, I mean, Caitlin said, like even that TI job, hundreds of people working on those floors and more, that's pretty normal. So you're not by yourself. It's a team sport for sure, but people don't speak up. They don't feel like they can speak up. And you see sometimes like when trades, tradespeople speak up and the way that management reacts, it kind of shuts them down from speaking up. And then you can only be shut down so many times before you stop talking. And so management, if you're out there listening to the show, and I know you are because I get the analytics on the show. Think about the last time somebody brought something up to you and how you reacted. Was that the last time that person ever spoke to you about an issue? Or do you have an open dialogue? And you can still change it even if you messed up. You can make it better. What's one way, Caitlin, that you've used to talk to people so that the communication stays open? I mean, I've always been kind of an open book. You know, you tell me what, let me know how I can help. And that's kind of how I've always run my job site was, let me know how I can help. And there was always a thank you. And there was always a good morning. Simple things that humanize to construction, which I think people forget to do. Um, one thing we've done in EMOD as a way to raise your hand is just asking everyone, how much urgency are you feeling? Like, are you... Do you feel a lot of pressure to get whatever task you're doing today done? If they say extreme urgency, that's probably the person I'm going to go check in on. Um, and it's a way to raise a flag without having to, you know, wave a red flag on a job site and draw all this attention to yourself. Uh, we want to be able to do it in a way that people are comfortable submitting, hey, I have an issue. You know, we're working on a fit for duty and a, an opportunity for people to submit submit their feelings of there may be an issue, but they don't want to, they don't want to throw the red flag in the middle of the job site. Right. That's a good uh, leading indicator. I've been part of many accident investigations over the near 30 years I've been involved in. And I can tell you that a common thread with all the accidents that I've seen without exception has been that the person injured has been feeling pressure, schedule pressure or production pressure, goal pressure, unspoken expectation pressure. You can't find anything written down, but you can just feel that thing. I think that's a powerful question, like that sense yeah. of urgency. So, oh my God, I love that. A forward leading indicator to help make a change. Now, when that flag gets dropped in the software, does it uh, notify management in any shape or form or their, their foreman? Since this is geared for the trades, like where does that, where does that answer go to? 
So it notifies the superintendent on the job site. Just as a if little red flag for them, gives them a heads up that someone's feeling extreme urgency um, and that, you know, they should go check in on them. And that's it. We just kind of leave it at that right now. We're working on more psychological safety and how can we do more small triggers like that just to raise awareness, but that we don't want the whole job site to become aware. And so right. notifying a superintendent or a safety officer, someone like that to go check on them, this person. That individual interaction is so powerful. It can make a huge difference. So I want to thank you for that, Caitlin. It's been amazing having you on the show. I learned so much. I feel like we could probably go another show and just talk statistics around safety for an talk. hour straight. I could all day long. <laughs> drop drop us one. So yeah. Drop us one more stat as we go out and uh, get on with our day, making things easier, better, and faster out there. Uh, the construction industry spent $164 billion on, on incidents and accidents last year. Billion, 164. That's through, you know, administrative costs, insurance costs, all, everything combined. But think about if those things didn't happen, what we could be doing with that money. We could be putting it back into our people. We could be changing the way. We could be investing in other technologies that are out there. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build. <laughs>